Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. Space hole go boom. <laughs> Today we're talking about Minute 127, which begins with Tony's final push and ends with Tony falling in space. Again, Dr. Arnold T. Blumberg, shout out to you. You don't get to talk about this minute with us, but we look forward to future conversations. We sure do. This would be your last minute of not talking to us, and you've been great. (laughs) You've been great. Oh, man. All right. So we have been tracking Tony and this nuke. He's got it in his grasps. Um, Yeah, we're at this point. There's no Clint. In this minute, um, no. I I don't know if he's still sore from his landing below. Hulk is watching. Is this kind of an odd shot to have of Hulk, uh, kind of like from the top of the building, the rubble, as he kind of looks up at what's going on? I don't know if it's odd. I do think it's I I it doesn't strike me necessarily as odd. I kind of like it that like all of the heroes looking up shots are shots looking up from like some sort of despair some sort of um this was our last shot location for each of those characters and i kind of like it like hulk is surrounded by fire and rubble and effectively brimstone and looks like um, looks like he's in the uh in the ivory coast with yeah. <laughs> uh, Tasha and Clint from earlier exactly right exactly so i do like that and and then we get the um you know we already know that nat is in her sort of last minute position right because she's standing with the, the scepter in the blue goo sphere and then Tony is heading up. I we get uh, the interesting POV. Uh, presumably, Tony's POV, not through the HUD. It's just it's basically like camera on the bottom of the nuke shot. Yeah, as it's heading d- directly towards Stark Tower. At this point, it's just it. It kind of looks like AI Tower, which is yeah, I suppose, kind of fitting as the birthplace of of Vision. <laughs> but but basically. He is, uh, I, I know they're trying to make this as dramatic as possible, but seriously, like that nuke flies straight at Stark Tower and only in like two frames does it actually go, oh, we're going to actually go up. Yeah. And to the point where Tony like rubs his belly up against the top of his tower, you know, dramatic purposes, sure. But I'm just like, I just don't buy that, <laughs> that, that curved like that. Okay, but I do like the skip, the skip off of Stark Tower. I think that's funny. <laughs> His little belly rub, yeah. Yeah, I like the belly rub. Yeah, they, he and Stark Tower are now belly buddies. <laughs> keep it alive, keep it yeah. alive. <laughs> I wonder who else becomes belly buddies over the course of the franchise. <laughs> we need to. We need some sort of a tick sheet. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, Tony, you know, we get uh, Natasha, as you said, kind of the dramatic shot of her watching and then the long shot of uh, kind of the cityscape as the little dot of Tony flies up into the portal. And then we cut to him actually going through and everybody celebrates. And there was great rejoicing. Everybody on the helicarrier bridge, uh, you know, is cheering and hugging and well, an agent. Uh, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Well, I just want to, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I feel like we need to at least call out that the long shot of him flying up, 
there is one more sled on the left of the beam and one more on the right that are flying down. And I laugh at those guys because, like, where have they been? Where have they been? <laughs> it's, you know, when there's a lot of sleds to go through, they're in a line. And so they're at the back of the line. They're like, are we going to finally ever way. get to get into this fight? And they finally get through. All right, we're finally through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Anyway, I'm sorry. So you were saying there is much no, rejoicing yeah. on the bridge. Yes. Yeah. Everybody's very excited. A, there's rejoicing on the bridge. Uh, you know, we've got um, uh, Kobe Smulders. Uh, Relief. Hill. She is relieved. She's like, oh, phew, all of that work I've been doing behind uh, Fury's back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Doesn't really matter. So she looks to Fury, who, of course, uh, kind of looks at her. They have this moment of acknowledgement, and uh, and then he just looks away. It's everybody as having a, a moment of relief here that the nuke didn't go off. Although, it's funny because... It hasn't stopped the Chitari invasion. So they're basically just relieved that the nuke didn't go off, I guess. Yes. Right. And Fury in particular, that he was able to, you know, clap back at the World Security Council. Right. Like he had his he got his way, even though the battle is still, you know, being waged. Well, and I guess that's my question. Like Tony's through the space portal. And, you know, we're going to see him in a minute on the other side of the one-sided hole. But it does make you wonder, should Fury be, as the director, like, directing? Should he be saying, okay, you're through that. What's everyone else doing? Like, keeping tabs on stuff. Like, he's been, as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. very silent through this battle. Well, and because I think, you know, I, I get that cinematically. Like, we know... Like, logistically, if this had been more of a real thing, he would have been more of a commander. But in this case, we needed Cap to step up as the as the practical leader for the film. And, you know, we just have to believe that Fury was more of a useful character up on that helicarrier at some point. Yeah, it's it is one of those things, I guess, as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, and obviously the helicarrier has been damaged and they've been trying to get it going and stuff like that. So obviously they couldn't get it into the fray. But at the same time, having some communication point would be would be good. I don't know. It's just one of those weird things. Like, I, I don't know. I guess he's not like the general. He's just like the director. So he sends them out into battle and lets them do the work, right? Yeah. Can I, can I ask you a, a, probably a dumb question? Because I just don't remember when this happened. But when did the bridge of the helicarrier fill up with all those people? <laughs> there... The bridge has generally been pretty full. They're just always sitting at those consoles, so you can't see what's actually going on. You can't see as many of them because the consoles are all taller than the people. Okay. I, They're just I guess all standing I could buy that. I just feel like like the last time we spent any real time on the bridge, it was when everybody left, like after the bloody cards and the death of Coulson, and it felt pretty quiet on there. And I I just couldn't remember seeing extras behind those consoles. And now they're very enthusiastic. Well, I think what happens when there's drama on the bridge, like when when Fury is talking to uh, Tony and Steve at the table and the bloody cards and stuff, it's, it's higher than all these people. It's farther back. But I think everyone here kind of hears what's going on. And they're just like, oh, OK, we just got a better duck down hunker in so nobody can see us because we we don't want to be you know we don't want to interrupt the drama okay so they All pretend right, they're fine. not here they pretend they're not here they play they possum they possum bridge possum. exactly 
The bridge All possums. Right. This is bridge this possums. is a room full of bridge possums. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right. Can we go to the other side of the space hole? Oh my goodness! At least cell service starts to. We get to see where cell service ends. My first question, though, could Tony have pushed the nuke into the hole and dropped down immediately and not bothered with this? Always. Absolutely officer thinking, Andy. Why is Tony, does he have to be so thorough? Is really I'm what we're gonna, asking. Yeah, like, I'm really taking this through this hole. Like, I'm going yeah. way through. All the way through the hole. Why would he do that? It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just push it through the hole and turn around. Yeah, the only reason that, based on what happens, is I do wonder if he was hoping, essentially what we actually see, he was hoping to get through the hole to see where they're coming from from, so that he could actually aim the, uh, the, the missile at their ship. The only reason that I struggle with that as an idea is because he doesn't do any aiming once he's through. He continues on his straight line projection until he basically, his systems shut down and he falls back and i don't i don't i still have not been able to figure out like i was trying to do like what research on his suit like what are those things that pop off of his shoulders uh it looks like some sort of sort of uh it looks like almost like the entire shoulder missile units pop off or something to kind of propel him back toward the hole i like i can't figure out exactly what's happening there but it's like he doesn't do any aiming and i guess that's really the issue is like if he's if his intentions are to come through the hole to aim it at the Chitari, I want to see him come through the hole, aim it at the ch- Chitari, and then go back, fall back. Yeah, go the back. Hole. But instead, hole, yeah. it's just like he might as well have just tossed it through the hole, and and that would be the end of it. And and you wonder, like I I recognize that there is probably different technology that I do not understand for maintaining somebody's life support in space compared to maintaining somebody's life support under the sea. But we've already seen Tony actively working and fine under the sea in this movie. And somehow he's in space. And what what is it that fails for him? Just where he is. Yeah, because this was something that I had because he kind of learned in Iron Man 1 when he tries flying really high and eventually he actually defeats, doesn't quite defeat, uh, you know, the villain in there. Uh, but he learns that if he flies up really high, his suit will freeze up and he'll, it'll shut down and he'll fall back to Earth. And that's kind of the first time he takes down Ironmonger. Right. I feel like that was his lesson. And we've always seen Tony learning lessons from the things that he develops. And so, I don't know, I just, it was one of those things that as he does this, it just kind of surprises me that the idea of potentially going to space at some point hasn't crossed into his mind after that experience and that he hasn't made his suit something that could actually handle getting up into space. Yeah. And there's another thing. While we're on this subject, I'm not a scientist, but if I take like a plastic dome, like a ball. Let's just say I take a plastic ball, like a rubber ball you get at a grocery store. Remember those? In oh, the yeah. cages? They're bouncy And you, you submerge the bouncy ball under water, and then you poke a hole in it with a pin. What happens? Nothing. Well, slightly larger pin. Sorry, was that the wrong answer? Yeah, it was absolutely the wrong <laughs> answer. You did not understand the assignment. Right, there's an exchange of pressure. So we have this atmosphere on Earth and then you expose it with a hole to the vacuum of space. Yes. What 
<laughs> what should happen to Tony as he crosses this? Like, is he being sucked out into space at all? How does he fall back in? How does that work? I don't think the space hole... Here's my scientific understanding of this <laughs> space hole. It's not a hole like a drain in a, you know, I think, I, you know, a better example, like you put a, you know, a, a plastic, uh, you know, <laughs> a sheet of uh, plastic wrap across your sink and and put some water with that's baggy enough to hold water and then you poke a hole in it mm-hmm. i don't think that the if the space is the water side i don't think the space is going to like start pouring through into the sink below like i don't think that's how this sort of space hole like the tesseract space hole works i think it creates a film across it that things can move through it, but I don't think the the vacuum of space or the atmosphere of Earth are necessarily going to like push across that film because of the film. God, I love that you. It is the it's the film, the impermeable or the permeable semi permeable film barrier. It's like a cell at the one sided hole. It's like a cell. <laughs> okay. Right. Right, and Tony's the virus getting Tony's into. The virus. He's yeah, crossing he's through space. the the film of the cell, and he's infecting space right here. Okay, God, or is gross. he? Or is he the antivirus? And the Chitari are the virus, and they're coming through into the cell, and he is now going out to. He's the white blood cell, I guess. I, I don't care. I don't know. I, I'm losing. As, I'm losing yeah. track of my science here. As oh, yes, you are. <laughs> Tony's Believe the nanobot. <laughs> We lost track of science long ago. (laughs) Regardless. Anyway. So so I think what happens here, it's not like he falls to the hole because, again, vacuum of space, he can't actually, there is no falling here. If anything, he's going to let go of the missile and keep following along with it the entire way. The only reason, and this is why I, one of the reasons that I kind of struggle with that moment where he kind of slips off the missile and starts falling because it doesn't make any sense. But it does make sense when those shoulder, like those missile containers, again, I think that's what pops off there. You think those are some sort of propulsive thing They forced him to go the other way? Yeah, they push him back toward the hole. Now, it's just lucky that they push him toward the hole because if, again, vacuum of space, there's nothing pulling him to the hole. If he had missed it, he would just be, you know, Sandra Bullock in gravity just floating off into space forever. (laughs) Yes. Oh, and I think they are in the same cinematic universe. Gravity and <laughs> Tony Stark. I'm sure they are. I, I will say, I am a little disappointed that when we come through the hole here, we don't, we're not coming through a minefield of frozen Leviathan gun right? God, they should have clogged the film. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So, I want to. So, okay. Obviously, he loses the call. I'm amazed his call made it this far. Actually, yeah. I don't know if that's Tony Tech or what, but uh, he loses the connection with Pepper. And um, this is. I'm curious, like how you go along with everything that we have here, because this is essentially Tony's fall, which becomes a big part of his arc in the next film and moving forward. It kind of there's this spiritual way that it's kind of done, or something like very internal as far as what we're what we start seeing with tony because he's in darkness when we cut to his face like the last time as soon as the suit goes down 
everything kind of everything kind of disappears and we're left with this shot of just kind of light on his eyes it's kind of like this uh interesting little kind of i don't know there's something spiritual about just kind of him in this moment and then the next few times that we cut to his face it's like he's in a void, like a reddish glowing void. And we just see his eyes. We do see a shot right toward the end of this as he continues falling at about 57 seconds, where it's like a side shot of his face. Yeah. And it's like, we're so far away from his face that there's no way that there wouldn't be a suit or like his helmet at this point. So we step into kind of this internal space i think is the way that i read it for tony where we're really kind of getting this sense of uh, again i keep going to spiritual because it seems like they're trying to say this and he'll talk about this in later films this connection to something bigger than him and this idea that that he's gone into this space where he just suddenly feels small and it kind of puts him into a different place i mean how do you read the way that we're stepping into his head here no, I actually really like that because, uh, you know, we know it at, you know, second 58 or nine when we get that reverse shot and we're looking at Tony moving backward toward toward really infinity. Right. Like that's what that's the image that I get out of this. But there is no light glowing on him, even though it is, as you say, glowing on his eyes, like his interior internal space. I think that's a really nice touch, even if I, it, there is there's room for me to believe that it wasn't intentional, that that we actually are meant to believe we were seeing light from the, um, you know, from the explosion and yeah, they through, just through didn't, those little didn't put it on. Yeah. But, but to me, I, I like the, um, I, I like this sort of homage to Tony's grandiosity being, being wrought small, right? Like it is, yeah. he is, he is but a player in a grand universe. And we are actually seeing that played out right here in front of the one-sided hole. And and I think it's great. It's great for his character. It's great for where his character goes from here. Um, you know, it, and his arc continues through Infinity War, through Endgame. It reminds me a little bit of Daniel Kaluuya in Get Out when he's hypnotized mm-hmm. and he's just yeah. in the falling in the oh, blackness and the TV is call. that little tiny, tiny dot. Yes. That's yes. kind of what, what it feels like here. Yeah. Totally. We've gotten to the end of this minute, and we haven't talked about the most important thing that we need to clock in this very minute. Mm. The bomb has already gone off, Andy. Do you know, have you done the math? Because I have on exactly how long (laughs) it has been since the pilot gave us the two minute and 30 second countdown. Two minute and 30 seconds. Uh, it's a little more like 38 uh, seconds, I think, right? Two minutes, 38 seconds. It, it is actually, it's, it's close enough to account for <laughs> speed ramping. Right. <laughs> right. It's a 2.58 minutes. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a little bit over two and a half minutes. But I have to say, for film math, that's pretty darn good. I agree. I really agree that they did a good job with that. Yeah. They they yeah. they they probably just timed they probably edited all of this together and then they just, you know, figured out how much time it, the the uh pilot needed to say. Like I feel like that's probably anytime filmmakers are doing something where it's a timed thing, yeah. the smartest thing you can do is wait until you've actually edited the sequence and then either ADR film that line or ADR the line in yeah. and get it in there so it's actually accurate. If more filmmakers did that, we wouldn't have these ridiculous things where it's like two minutes clocks and then like five minutes later something happens. Yeah, but then what we would have is more stuff like 322 seconds on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's that too. It does take some right. emergency out. 
Um, well, to that point, though, this I'm glad you brought up the explosion because it is another big element that we do have to talk about because as the mothership blows up, we cut back to Earth and the Chitauri instantly collapse. It is this hive mind thing that they've kind of decided that they're going to use to control all of this. Uh, I don't know. The Chitari, we've talked about this with some guests in the past, but it's like they are sentient beings. Yes, they've kind of been integrated with this biomech that they are covered with and these these armor plates and everything. Does it make sense that they just collapse? And like, it, it feels, does it end up feeling like it's too easy a way to kind of end the fight at this point? Absolutely it does, right? Because the hive mind, the implication of the hive mind is that it's based on some sort of insect mentality, right? But if you kill the queen bee, the rest of the bees don't drop out of the sky immediately, right? Like, it causes a lot of chaos for bees, as far as I understand, but it, they, they don't drop out of the sky. That That's just not how it, how it, it necessarily works. Like, if, if, if we are to believe that that the biomechanical it like integration for these creatures has so fully taken over that they die when they are disconnected from the server in the sky andy that means that the chitari are as helpless as the leviathan itself oh pete don't make me start with them <laughs> our campaign should be to save the chitari the whole Chitari, they're being absolutely used and violated in a way that isn't. I don't care how ugly they are; they're the victims here. Nothing. Do you believe? Do you buy it? <laughs> no, I, I feel like I have to. If I'm already buying into the Leviathan, I'm going to have to buy into the with the Chitari. But here's the thing that I still don't get: like, is it is there a kill switch implanted in their heads so that they fall over instantly? And we, we again, we talked about this with the guests, yeah. like comparing it to the Phantom Menace because they're just like the. Uh, the droids in that when in the battle yes. on uh, Naboo, and it's just like it just it's so it just is kind of a dumb way to get out of it. It is it is a cheap way to get out of it, but I can buy it a lot more when if you consider it just straight technology, right? Yeah, like, like all right, Phantom Menace. I actually buy better than this. I totally buy <laughs> Phantom Menace. I believe it. Right. I believe it better than this because these are supposedly we're supposed to believe that this is an army. This is like a, a this is a slave army. Right. Like I get it. But they're 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 an army for hire. Maybe they're not slaves of the other and his, you know, ilk. But they are they are flesh. Right. They have we're supposed to believe that they have minds. They're not individually controlled as far as we understand by a server in the sky until this moment when it's like, oh, my gosh, there's much rejoicing across the planet. I don't I don't buy it. I don't love it. I just want to hear a Chitari now say, if you cut us, do we not bleed? Yes. Like I I, I really do think that the, the real call to arms is to save the Chitari and the Leviathan, their mother. Yeah. To stop the uh the use of them as slave uh, army <laughs> labor that have kill switches implanted in their brains to uh to carry Russell uh when the time yes. comes. Yeah. <laughs> did you just carry Russell into a verb? <laughs> I just did. <laughs> Poor Carrie Russell. She must be so proud. <laughs> it is the worst watching her with that yeah. brain bomb. Ugh. Uh, but I think that's She's what happened. So good. I think if we that's what happens here. I think if they if we weren't if we could see a Chitari face without its mask and its helmet and everything, I think the eyes would do the same thing that Carrie Russell's did. <laughs> 
I think, you know, Andy, we're on to something. This entire <laughs> line of inquiry, we need to follow this to where it, where it ends, ultimately ends, and people aren't going to like it when the truth is out there. Eye violence, Pete. The, I'm surprised we don't see that. This movie is full of eye violence. I mean, the Leviathan's <laughs> so, eye explodes, the, you so know, the ocular extraction. Violence. I think all the Chitauris, uh, like they probably, their eyes are just a mess at this point. Oh, right. Just awful. <laughs> Awful stuff. They aren't even covered anymore. There's no, there's no <laughs> insurance company that will cover eye violence for Chitauris. It happens to such flagrant abuse of eyes. It's just horrible. Uh, our, the last of our Leviathans does a roll and dies crashing onto the top of 130 East 39th Street at the northwest corner of Lexington and 39th. Again, we, uh, you know, follow that up with this, uh, the shots of Tony. And I don't know, I guess the other thing, and we kind of leave this minute, is Tony dying at this point? I guess that's kind of the way that our minute closes, as it seems very much like his eyes close and he's accepting death. It's kind of, I mean, he sees the bright light, right? Well, my question for you is, when do you have any memory of when you saw this movie and whether or not you thought maybe they were going to kill him in this movie? No, and I think it's because he's, drifting toward the space hole i think mm -hmm. i think i assumed that if he had randy quaded it and and taken it all the way up to the the uh the ship i, I then i would have assumed that that was the death of tony stark but because he lets go and doesn't randy quaid i think yeah. that um i assumed he was going to live it's but it's a very independence day minute suddenly i'm like it's it exactly is. the randy quaid thing 100%. It's a Take very independent same minute. Yeah. I, so, because so what was the release date of this one again? It was 2011 something? 12. 12, 2012. Uh, unfortunately, I think, unfortunately for the story, we already knew Iron Man 3 was coming, right? Like we knew it had been announced after, like, apparently after Iron Man 2, somewhere in 2011. Like, so I, I'm sure I already knew that Iron Man 3 was coming as part of their big next wave. And that's, I think it's unfortunate for this mo moment in the movie because it means it has so much less weight, <laughs> he says, watching Iron Man float through space. And <laughs> I, uh, and, and so I think it's, that it, it does a disservice to it. There is a real chance had they, had we not known of the expanded universe that, that they set up a believable exit of Tony Stark after a number of movies in phase one uh, to actually die heroically here and not, you know, 10 years later. I think that's interesting. It is. Yeah. And I think that is the danger of these stories, these films, when we know that people are, um, again, they're comic book heroes. You really don't want to kill off your comic book heroes. So the fact that, that he actually does die, uh, by the time we get to Endgame, is a big moment. And, like, are they ever going to try bringing back an Iron Man in some capacity? I don't know. I feel like Robert Downey Jr. kind of owns the role. It's like, you know, everything that they've been, quote, trying to do with Indiana Jones. It's like, you don't you don't bring back Indiana Jones. Like, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. It just doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. And Ship sailed. Yeah, right. And so it does make it hard when presumably a hero is going to die will they let him and you just you kind of don't buy into it i mean i'm yeah i that's i i think that's the challenge that is the perennial challenge of these things and it's become even more so with so many of these movies like there's so many movies how can you believe anything anymore <laughs> especially with the multiverse like everyone like no one will ever die because no you one just will go ever find die. them again in another thing yeah yep Ugh, all right 
I'm well, looking at you, Gamora. <laughs> uh, let's wrap things. Uh, she didn't die. She's in the same multiverse. It was time travel that brought her back. Oh, <laughs> You're right. Don't even get me started. <laughs> don't even get me started on time travel. <laughs> Once you have time travel and multiverses, and everyone's going to live forever. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. We're going to have Robin Burge joining us again tomorrow uh, and should be fun to chat with him about Minute 128. So, Pete, thanks as always. And Hulk with the assist. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>